Hey, it's, it's great to uh, see you this morning. If, if this is your first time here, I haven't a chance to meet you yet. Again, I was, uh, I'm Jake, and uh, I'm the lead pastor here at Midtown Church, and I'm so glad that you're here uh, joining us this morning as we worship God. I hope that you're encouraged in your walk with Christ this morning or your exploration of Christianity this morning. So, so glad that you're here. Hey, let me begin uh, with a little uh, real talk, a little confession. I, uh, I cry almost every time I watch a movie or read a book that contains like the plot line of someone who, who loves and accepts somebody that no one would expect them to love and accept. I just, those like, those get me every single time. Like the other day, I was watching uh, the movie Wonder with my kids. I don't know if y'all have seen Wonder or read the book, but like, I'm, I'm just, I'm just crying like a baby this whole time. And my, my, my two nine-year-old boys are looking at me like, are you okay? And I'm like, I'm okay, but it's like, <laughs> and, uh, if you haven't read the book or seen the movie, you should. It's awesome. But um, those kind of, I can tell you, those kind of storylines, they get me every single time. And they stick with me. And like, for example, I, and I, I read a book, uh, I guess it was probably over 10 years ago by uh, Philip Yancey called Rumors of the, Another World. And in that book, he told a story that, I mean, it, it, this is just one example of these kind of stories that just stick with me. And this one's just come to my mind so many times. It's, it's really powerful. Um, but the, the story is this. It, it took place during uh, the, the Truth and Reconciliation um, Commission that uh, Nelson Mandela headed up in uh, South Africa to, at the end of apartheid to, to try to bring healing to that uh, country. And uh, there were some wild stories that came out of that. But the story that Yancey tells in his book that's just always stuck with me, it, it goes like this. Well, well, let me first give you if, you, if you're not familiar with the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, like basically it was this wild idea that instead of trying to punish all of the injustice that took place in South Africa, instead they were going to just try to, they were going to seek healing by people confessing the wrongdoings that they did. And if, if the wrongdoer would be willing to go to court and openly confess, tell the truth about all the crimes they committed, then they would be absolved of their crimes. But in that courtroom, they were also given the, 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 those, the victims of those crimes or the families of the loved ones of the victims of those crimes were given a chance to confront the wrongdoers. And then that, there's this story takes place. It says this, uh, Yancey tells, At one hearing, a policeman named Vanderbrock recounted an incident when he and other officers shot an 18-year-old boy and burned the body to destroy the evidence. Eight years later, Vanderbrock returned to the same house and seized the boy's father. And the wife was forced to watch as policemen bound her husband on a wood pile, poured gasoline over his body, and ignited it. The courtroom grew hushed as the elderly woman who had lost first her son and then her husband was given a chance to respond. What do you want from Mr. Vanderbrock, the judge asked. And she said, Mr. Vanderbrock took all my family away from me and I still have a lot of love to give. Twice a month, I would like for him to come to the ghetto and spend a day with me so I can be a mother to him. And I would like Mr. Vanderbrock to know that he is forgiven by God and that I forgive him too. And I would like to embrace him so he can know that my forgiveness is real. 
spontaneously, some in the courtroom began singing Amazing Grace. And the elderly woman made her way to the witness stand, but Vanderbrock did not hear the hymn. He had fainted, overwhelmed. I tell you. I just get goosebumps. I just like, I mean, that, that, those, like that story in particular, but stories like that, they, they move me. Stories of unexpected, undeserved love and acceptance. It's just powerful, is it not? Because I think that's one of the reasons why I love the book of Acts so much, and that's the book that we are studying as a church, been studying the last few weeks. And, and I love this book so much because much of Acts is the story of God unexpectedly loving and accepting people. That people that people like we just think there's no way God would love and accept, but then He does it time and time again. So, for example, if you were with us just last week, you saw that in Acts chapter nine, right, where where Jesus pursues Saul, Saul, the number one enemy of Christianity, trying to snuff it out. Jesus pursues him not to condemn him, but to come and rescue him, to come and confront him with Jesus's real reality, and to call him into a relationship with him, and He saves. Saul, and when, when Saul starts showing up around other Christians, they can't believe it. They don't know if they can trust this guy because, I mean, there's no way he's really trusted in Christ, but there's no way God has saved him. But they find like, yeah, no, unexpectedly, unbelievably, God has embraced the number one enemy of Christianity, that he's loved and accepted Saul. And this morning, we're going to skip over the last part of chapter 9. We're going to pick up in chapter 10. And the reason we're doing this is because I want to highlight that, that Luke, he puts the story we're looking at today and the story we looked at last week next to each other, chapter 9, chapter 10, I think to really drive home God's incredible love, unexpected love and acceptance of people. Because in chapter 9, you got Saul. Chapter 10, you have the story of Peter being sent to the Gentiles, the non-Jews, and it's this watershed moment where, where God clearly accepts them, loves them in a way that no one, like to a degree, that no one, no one thought would happen, but he brings them in. He embraces them, and man, it's powerful because that's what God does. He loves and accepts people to a degree that we, we, we can hardly believe, but, man, we are moved with, to joy, <laughs> to rejoice when, we, when it comes home to us that this is what God is like. And so uh, we're going to look at this. Now, I want to say one, one more thing, and that is, um, unfortunately, though that is what God is like, uh, to quote the author Shane Claiborne, he, he, he says it this way, As Christians, we have become known for those whom we have excluded rather than those that we have embraced. And so there's our God who unexpectedly loves and accepts people. And then there's his, his followers, Jesus' followers, who have a reputation for being more known for who we exclude than who we embrace. And, and guys, here's, here's my prayer this morning, and I would ask that you would join me in praying this, but that, that God would shape us, reshape us, change us, even this morning, through his word to make us more like, like him. 
So let me pray for that, and then we're going to jump into Acts chapter 10. We'll pick up in verse 1. Let's pray. Father God, we do ask right now that you would shape us through your word, that you would speak to us by your spirit, and that you would help us become more like you, and that we would join with you, partner with you in loving and accepting people the way that you do, and that they would, as a result of feeling your love and acceptance through us and hearing about it through us and others, God, that they would come to believe it and enter into a relation with you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, so picking up in uh, Acts chapter 10, verse 1. Now, I want to warn you, we're going to cover a lot of the Bible today. Actually, we're just going to cover a lot of this, this narrative that we're going to look at. It's the longest narrative in the, all of Acts. It goes all the way through chapter 10, which is 48 verses, and then into chapter 11, the first 18 verses. So we're going to try to cover a lot of that. Um, but I will try to make it interesting. It's a very interesting story, so, you know, it's awesome. So hopefully that will grip you, but we'll read through it, and I'll just stop along the way and try to explain things and kind of highlight why it's important. But try to follow along. And so if you've got a Bible, I'd encourage you to open that up or pull it up on your phone, but I'll also have the slides up here for you as well. So let's jump right in. Uh, chapter 10 of Acts, verse 1 says this, At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion, in what was known as the Italian Regiment. And he and all his family were devout and God-fearing, and he gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. Okay, now pause here, and I just want to see that the, uh, Luke, the author of Acts, he's, he's being very intentional here to give us this description of this guy Cornelius. Like, he wants us to know that this is a, he's a soldier, he's the Roman, uh, Roman army over a powerful man, over many people, and he's a good guy. He's a Gentile, but as a Gentile, he's a God-fearer. That means he worshiped the God of, uh, of Israel. And that he prayed to them and he cared for the poor. Like, this is a, this is a good guy. Now, hold on to that. We're going to come back to that in a, in a little bit. But verse 3 says, One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. And he distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. And Cornelius stared at him in fear because when an angel shows up, it turns out they're not little fat little baby cherubs. They're scary. So he's scared, but he says, what is it, Lord? He asked, and the angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. Now that's Peter the Apostle. Peter, one of Jesus' 12 disciples. That's, that's who that's referring to. So at the end of this, the vision ends, and, and Cornelius does what the angel said. He, he gathers three of his men, and he says, go to Joppa, that's where Peter is, and go fetch this guy and bring him back to me. So let me skip ahead to verse 9, and the story picks up more from Peter's point of view. Here's what it says, verse 9. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey, the three that Cornelius sent, and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. Like this dude was really hungry, right? He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. And it contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. And then a voice told him, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. Again, he's, he's hungry. Uh, but he says, Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. Okay. Now, the reason that he would say this, 
in response to this vision. The reason why he's saying, well, surely not, I'm never eating anything impure or unclean, is because uh, on this blanket are, are, are animals, this you know, blanket, the sheet on, on this animal, are, are these animals that apparently uh, are the animals that Jews were forbidden to eat by the law, by the law of God. And so uh, that would include, include pigs, and, uh, and I bring that up because our associate pastor, Justin Christopher, loves to call this the, the vision of the first original pigs in the blanket. And so it's, it's terrible. It's a terrible joke. But he literally asked me if I would tell it this morning. <laughs> Are you he said, will you tell the pigs in the blanket joke? I said, I'll do it for you. But... <laughs> So there are, yeah, it's so bad, so bad. But like this would have been really confusing for Peter because they're like, he's wondering, like, is this a test, God? Like, I mean, I'm clearly, I'm hungry. I'm, I'm like so hungry. I'm having a, I'm in a trance and I'm dreaming about food coming down from heaven. But then it's food that I'm not allowed to eat. It's unclean food. Like, are you testing me, God, to see if I'd be faithful and not eat this food? But then look what happens. Verse 15, the voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. Okay, so three times God reiterates in a vision of Peter that he is not to call anything impure that God has made clean. Now, that is an incredibly important statement. Hang on to that. But... In order for us to understand how important that is, we've got to define a few terms here. So what, is, what does it mean to be in clean or impure in this context? And here's what's helpful for you to recognize. This isn't talking about righteousness. This is talking about what's acceptable. That's what clean is. And so in the context of food, there were certain food, there's certain types of animals that, that Jews were allowed to eat. It was acceptable for them to eat. That's clean food. Unclean food would have been like pigs or other, like these reptiles and things like that. Those were forbidden for them to eat. It was, it, they were rejected. It was prohibited, or you could just say it was unacceptable for them to eat. So in this context, clean and unclean means acceptable or unacceptable. Clean, acceptable. Unclean, unacceptable. All right? So keep that in mind. That's important for us to follow through with the rest of this passage and understand the meaning of this vision. But here's the thing. Peter doesn't understand the meaning of this vision. Like He is so confused because here's the thing. Like if that's what God is saying, he's saying, I don't know, you know, don't call anything unclean that I've made clean. He's like, well, what are you talking about? Like, because for all of his life as a faithful Jew, like there were certain types of food that he could, he could not eat and that his parents before him would not eat, and their parents before them would not eat, on and on and on, all the way back to the Exodus. Like, <laughs> he's like Israel being rescued out of Egypt, and then in the desert, given the law, and like in Leviticus 11, like they're told, by God, do not eat these kinds of food. In some cases, don't even touch them. If you touch them, if you eat them, then you become unclean and you have to do ceremonial purification, washing, and sometimes even more than that, to be made clean once again, to be made acceptable once again. So like it's always, it's just been on and on. Like this is a huge thing. And he's thinking, like, what in the world? Yeah, what are you saying? This is like, I don't understand. So verse 17, while Peter was wondering, or literally the word there is perplexed, like the guy is scratching his head, right? 
It says, while he was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. And they called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. And while Peter was still thinking about the vision, like it's weighing on him, right? The Spirit, that being God the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, says to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs and do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. So then in the next few verses, they kind of skip ahead. Peter does that. He goes and meets these guys. He welcomes them in. They stay the night. He finds out why they've come. They say, hey, our, our, our boss, he, he's told us that he had this vision of an angel coming to him and told us to just come and look for you. And so we came looking for you. You come with us back to go meet him. And Peter says, yeah, I'll come back to meet him. And so the next day they get up and go, and Peter goes, and he's got a couple of his friends that are Christians, that are believing, believing Jews. They follow Peter as well. So this whole band of people heads off back to Caesarea. And the whole while you have to think, but Peter is still trying to make sense of this vision that he had. And this orchestration of events that apparently God has been putting together because there's an angel telling him to look for him and that he's being told by the Spirit of God to go with them. And he's trying to say, like, what's happening here? How does, what, like, what is God up to? Pick up in verse 24. This is what we're told. It says, The following day he, talking about Peter, arrived at Caesarea. And Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. And as Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. He said, stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. And while talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. And he said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate or visit a Gentile. Now, let me pause right there. Now, this is a big statement, Right? Because he's saying, hey, look, look, you guys know Gentiles that he's, he's, you know, whose house he's in. He's like, this is against the law for me to be here. And now it's worth noting that this wasn't against God's law. This was against Jewish traditional law that would put up extra laws, extra standards to keep them from breaking God's law. But the law that they didn't want to break was becoming unclean. And because of the food restrictions that Jews had, there was a ton, there's like this just dividing wall that was built up between Jew and Gentile around the issue of food. Because you, if you can't eat certain foods that other people can eat and you can't even be around it and their utensils can't touch it and touch the other food, it would contaminate. I mean, it goes on and on and on. But anyways, all I have to say is that this became a rule. Hey, don't even associate with Gentiles if you're a Jew, because if you do, if you go to their house, if you eat with them, you will become unclean. But here's the thing. What, how Peter finishes the sentence shows us that at some point in time, since when the, the, he had this vision and the Spirit spoke to him and he traveled back to Caesarea, things began to click for him and he began to understand what God was saying through this vision. Here's what he says. You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. And you notice what Peter does here? He takes 
He takes what God had said to him repeatedly three times over and over again in that vision, but he changes one word. Do you know that word? Did you recognize the word? That instead of saying that I should, God has shown me that I should not call anything impure or unclean, he changes the word to anyone, impure or unclean. And friends, I can't explain to you how, how significant that is. What a huge statement that was for Peter to make. For he's saying, hey, God showed me that I should, not I should not deem anyone unacceptable. This is Peter recognizing God's unexpected embrace of people he never thought that God would love and accept, at least not to this degree. But it's coming, it's making sense to him. And he's, he's, you can see in what happens next, it's like he's trying to wrap his mind around this, this incredible unexpected embrace of God, of the Gentiles. Here's what he says in verse 20. He says, so when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask, why have you sent for me? And Cornelius answers Peter's question in the next couple of verses by telling him all about the vision that Cornelius had had, about the angel who said, hey, go find this guy Peter and bring him here. And then he, Cornelius ends with this statement in verse 33. He says this, So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we're all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. And then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. And so you can just picture Peter like just kind of in awe as he's looking out over these Gentiles that he had always felt like, man, I could never even be around these people. To be around them would be to make me unclean. They have been rejected. They are unacceptable was what his thoughts was, both to God and to him. But now he's like just I figure like rubbing his head and just thinking. And now, now I see God does not show favoritism. But he accepts from every nation, not just Israel, but every nation, the one who fears him and does what is right. Now, we're going to come back to this statement in verse 35 a little bit later, but here's what I want you to not miss is to say, like, when he makes this statement and then look what he begins to do to answer Cornelius' request, tell me what God has commanded you to tell us. Where he goes next is he just starts talking about Jesus. But as he starts talking about Jesus, it's interesting how the emphasis he still puts on Jesus coming to Israel and you still see, like, Peter's still trying to wrap his mind around God's unexpected embrace of the Gentiles. So watch what he says. He says in verse 36, You know the message God sent to what? To the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea in Israel, beginning in Galilee in Israel, after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth from Israel with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. Verse 39, we are witnesses, like he's saying, okay, I saw this with my own eyes. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews in Jerusalem. In the country of Jews and Jews, that's where it was happening. Keeps emphasizing that. They killed him, hanging him on a cross. 
But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. And he was not seen by all people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen by us, saying, I was one of them who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead, meaning he was really alive physically. We ate and drank with him. And then he commanded us to preach to the people, which up to this point for Peter was just Israel. And he says, we commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead, that all the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Now look what happens, verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, that forgiveness of sins is found in the name of Jesus, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers, the Jews who had come with Peter, were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they had heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And friends, to go back to the opening story that Yancey tells, like this is at the moment where in the courtroom people would have started singing Amazing Grace. That in this courtyard at Cornelius' house, this is where, if that song had been written yet, Amazing Grace starts breaking out. That this is, this is the, the Jews who traveled with Peter are just astonished. Peter is astonished at the unexpected love and acceptance of God. For the Holy Spirit comes on the Gentiles just as he did with the Jews. In fact, it's highlighted here by the statement that the Holy Spirit falls on them. That word falls shows up in Acts chapter 2, that they begin speaking in tongues just like in Acts chapter 2. What's Acts chapter 2? The day of Pentecost when the 120 faithful followers of Christ are huddled up in prayer together and the Spirit comes in power. And they spill out in the streets speaking the gospel, proclaiming the gospel in the tongues of the people that were there from all over the world celebrating to, to hear the good news of the gospel in their own language. What happened for the Jews on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 happens to the Gentiles here in Acts chapter 10. And the Jews who are with Peter hear them praising God in their, in the Jews' language. These Gentiles are now speaking language that they can understand. Why is this? Because because the Spirit has come on them just like he did on the Jews. God has not just kind of accepted the Gentiles. He's not kind of found them acceptable, though he, he's embraced them fully, to full degree, unexpectedly, astonishingly. But guys, this is God's love and acceptance. And then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. And now when it says that Peter ordered for them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, it's helpful to know he's not ordering the Gentiles who just believe to be baptized. He's ordering his companions, the Jews who had traveled with him. They're the ones who are going to be baptizing he says, no, we will not stand in the way. We need to baptize them. He's saying, this, like, we can't stand in the way of what God has done. 
God has embraced them. God has accepted them fully. Let us do so as well. And it's a crowning moment in this, that they would baptize them. Because in baptism, what that does, guys, baptism is just this public announcement. It's a public declaration. It's a public sign of an inward reality. But the inward reality is this, that that God has accepted them, that God has come to dwell with them, that God has reconciled them to him through Jesus, and that now God is with them, and they are with God, and as a result of that, they are one with the body of Christ, the people of God as well. And so the Jews baptize their brothers and sisters, these Gentiles, And it's unexpected love and acceptance of God. Well, it's an awesome story, right? I mean, it's an awesome story. What I want to do with the last few minutes I have here um, is I want, to, I want to point out three things from this story that uh, I, I think we, 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 shouldn't, we should not miss. Three things I want to draw your attention to that... that, that this story should impact us in some big ways. The, the first one is this, that there is no one that God is unwilling to love and accept. There is no one that God is unwilling to love and accept. Because that, that is the primary point of Peter's side of this story. This is what God is teaching Peter and then through the word teaching us today. There is no one that God is unwilling to love and accept. If Peter learned from his vision on the housetop that God doesn't rule anyone out of his favor on the basis of race or ethnic origin or culture or sexual orientation or behavior or anything, that there's no one Because God says, God has shown me, as Peter says, God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean, that I should not call anyone unacceptable. There's no one that God is unwilling to love and accept. And so, guys, what God is showing us is that there is not one human being on the face of the earth that we should think about as being unacceptable to God, as being too far gone, as being a lost cause, as having no hope to ever be reconciled to God. Black or white, Muslim or Hindu, atheist, tolerant, intolerant, gay, transgendered, conservative, liberal, drug dealer, alcoholic, legalist, or hypocrite, and on and on, fill in the blank. There is nothing that you can think of, no type, no category, no person, that you would say, no, no, that person, he, he, she is unacceptable. To God, there is no one that God is unwilling to love and accept. And guys, the reason why is because, to put it simply, people matter much to God. You matter much to God. And everyone you know and everyone you've ever seen and everyone who's ever lived matters much to God. He made them. He's their creator. He loves them. He cares about them. They matter much to him. And throughout this message, I've been talking about the unexpected love and acceptance of God. But hear this. This should not have been unexpected. 
See, it was unexpected for Peter. He didn't expect God to love and embrace the Gentiles like he did. But if he had understood Scripture all the way back to the very beginning, I mean, Genesis 12, when God is with Abraham, he's saying, God, Abraham, I'm going to make a great nation come from you, which would be Israel, which would be the Jews. He said, but I'm doing that to bless you so that you will be a blessing to many nations. To the whole world, you will be a blessing. I'm blessing you to be a blessing because I don't just care about you. I care about everybody. Or to go to, to one of the, be- the best verses where God puts it so clearly, Isaiah 49, 6, where God says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. It's too small a thing. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth, that from the beginning all people mattered much to him. What was new in Acts 10 is not that God now cares about all people. What was new in Acts 10 is Peter realizing it, that there is no one that is unacceptable. There's no one that God is unwilling to accept and love. I guess that what that means then for us as Christians, if you're a follower of Christ, is that we should never look down on a person from any race, for any reasons of race or ethnic group or social group or political party or religion. We, never, we should never say to them that they are unfit for God's love and acceptance. And if they're not unfit for God's love and acceptance, <laughs> then I bet you got to understand, they are not unfit for your love and acceptance, all right? And so you, partnering with God, seek to demonstrate his love and acceptance to them. He shows no favoritism. There's no one that he says is unclean, unacceptable. Okay, now here's the thing. I know that will preach, right? I mean, if we, if we had more African-Americans in our church body, which I wish that we do and pray for that, I think we would hear us a little bit more amens and hallelujahs. And like, we need more of that. But like this, man, like this will preach. In our culture, God loves everyone. There's no one that God rejects. There's no one that God will say, like, no, you have no hope that I'm, I'm done with you, that there's no way that, you, like, that I'm unwilling to accept you or love you. Like, man, that preaches in our culture, and in our church, and rightfully so. It's great news. And even more than that, friends, it's true. I mean, this is what Peter is showing Peter here. It's great. But there's another thing that this passage teaches, and it's not as popular. <laughs> it, 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 you know, it's not as popular with our culture, but, man, it's just as true. And so let us not look over it. And that's this. There's no one that doesn't need God's love and acceptance. There's, there's no one that doesn't need God's love and acceptance. See, from Peter's point of view, what God's teaching Peter is there's no one that he's unwilling to love and accept. But what he is showing us through Cornelius is that there's no one out there that doesn't need his love and acceptance. I mean, you remember back to how Cornelius is uh, explained to us, how, how, what, what we're told about him. He's a good guy by all accounts, Right? I mean, we're told that he and his family, in verse 2, were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. So he, he prayed to God, and he cared for the poor. 
And then later on in this chapter, Cornelius' men refer to him. When they're telling Peter about Cornelius, they describe him in this way. They say that uh, he is a a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. Now, the Jewish people in Caesarea, they, that's a Greek city, so the Jewish people there were the minorities in that city. But he, here's this, this leader, powerful man, who cares and, and, and has a heart for the marginalized in his city. I mean, guys, good guy, good guy. In addition, in verse 4, we're told that God heard his prayers and observed Cornelius' care for the poor, and that his prayers and care for the poor came up to God like a memorial offering. Like, I mean, that's a big deal, right? So here's the question. Why did Cornelius need to send for Peter? Why did he need to hear the gospel before the Holy Spirit would come to dwell with him? And so here's the answer, and it's very, very clear in Scripture and in this passage in particular. What Peter says in chapter 4 of Acts, he reiterates here. This is what he says in chapter 4 of Acts, verse 12. He says this, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And then here in this chapter, Peter says in verse 43, to Cornelius, all the prophets testify about him, Jesus, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And it's at that moment that the Spirit comes. And so what God is showing us through Cornelius' side of the story is that even good from human standards, even spiritual Even generous people still need to believe the gospel, to be saved, to enter into the loving relation with God, to to be accepted by God. To put together, what we learn here is that there is no one that God is unwilling to love and accept and that therefore Jesus came for everyone and everyone needs the love and acceptance found in Jesus. And there is no other name by which you can be saved and everyone needs Jesus. And so when in verse 35, Peter says with a sense of awe that God does not show favoritism but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right, he was realizing that God is willing to accept people, again, from every nation, not just from Israel. And that though the word, you know, that the word accepts here, it's how you got it, like, don't make it mean something it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean justifies. It doesn't mean saves. It means that he has, that they are acceptable to him. That there are people from every nation that are acceptable to him. That's again, that's what Peter was learning here. And that he's saying, and not only are they acceptable to him, but but just like with Cornelius, as they they seek him, God hears them. People from every nation. And he answers their prayers and he goes to them, and just like with Cornelius, does whatever it takes for him to hear the gospel and come to faith in Jesus. that's what God does. He pursues people and draws them in relation with him. 
Because there's no one he's unwilling to love and accept. And everyone needs his love and his acceptance. And that's found through Jesus. Again, I, I talked about earlier that I think Luke was purposeful in putting Acts 9 and Acts 10 next to each other. I think he's trying to draw this home. I love how the, the pastor theologian John Stott puts this. When, and, and comparing Saul and Cornelius, he says this. In race, Saul was a Jew, Cornelius a Gentile. In culture, Saul was a scholar, Cornelius a soldier. In religion, Saul was a bigot, Cornelius a seeker. Yet both were converted by the gracious initiative of God. Both received forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Spirit. And both were baptized and welcomed into the Christian family on equal terms. This fact is a signal testimony to the power and impartiality of the gospel of Christ, which is still, to quote Romans 1.16, the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. Finally, the last thing that I want to make sure we don't miss from this passage is this, that God sends those who are unwilling to stand in his way to bring his love and acceptance to everyone. See, in chapter 11, I put it this way because in chapter 11, Peter returns to Jerusalem and he's telling the Jewish believers how God had unexpectedly embraced the Gentiles and he concludes to the, the whole story and the whole account of the vision and the, the angel and all, I mean, all of the stuff that took place for him to be standing in front of Cornelius and his family. And he ends with this statement, verse 15, he says, As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. And then I remember what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? See, guys, God didn't just want to show Peter that he loves and, wants to, and is willing to accept everyone. Though that's important for Peter to recognize. God wanted to do even more than that. He wanted to include Peter in how he embraced the Gentiles. He didn't just want Peter to recognize, okay, there's no one that's, that's unacceptable to God, but he wants to then send Peter to the people that he had first thought were unacceptable so that he could be a part of God's plan to love and accept them. And Peter said, when I recognize this, who was I to stand in God's way? This is what he's doing. Instead of trying to block that, instead of trying to sit that out, man, I'm jumping in on that. And friends, that's the call to us. It's the invitation to God, to all of us who have Christ as our Lord and Savior to say, hey, you know what? If there is no one that you, God, are unwilling to love and accept, but everyone needs your love and acceptance, then man, send me. I want to go too. I'm jumping in. I'm not going to stand in your way. I'm going to join you in bringing the good news of the gospel to them that they too can be loved and accepted by you. Guys, will you join him in that like Peter did here? Can I ask you a question? Is there a person or a group of people God wants to send you to to bring the good news? Is there a person or a group of people that comes to your mind that says, man, they need to know of the love and acceptance that God has for them in Christ. Let me ask, if you can identify them, then the question is, will you stand in the way? Or will you stand on the sidelines? 
Or will you partner with God and say, here, let's go together and bring this good news by demonstrating God's love and acceptance to them by how you treat them. Josh talked about that earlier today. And by declaring the the good news of the gospel to them, that they would know the name by which we are saved, the name of Jesus. If you're here today, you've never placed your faith in Christ. I hope that you hear this morning that God loves you and that you matter much to him. And no matter what you've done and no matter what you're doing, no matter who you see yourself as and no matter what has been done to you in the past, that exactly as you are right now, God says he wants to accept you and love you. I hope, I hope that you would, you would even today put your faith in Christ. That Jesus died for you. He died in your place to pay for your sins. That forgiveness is found in him because he willingly paid your penalty so that you could be given in him his righteousness and be, and be forgiven by God and reconciled to God. And if you want to believe that right now, then at this moment, just like with Cornelius and his family, the Spirit of God will come dwell with you if you believe. I hope that you would believe. For the rest of us here this morning that have already put our faith in Christ, we're going to end with by taking communion. We'll have communion in the back, communion in the front, and everyone's invited to come and, and take this as a way to remember this fact, because it's, it's worth mentioning that the vast majority of us here are Gentiles. And though this story happened 2,000 years ago, we feel the absolute ramifications of it. And the reason that we know that we're forgiven and accepted by God and, and, and promised that God lives with us as a spirit right now and promised to be with him forever in his kingdom is because of the truth that Peter got to proclaim to Cornelius and his family. I love how the Apostle Paul put it in Ephesians 2. I'm going to read this, and then we'll, I'll wrap up. Reflect on this as we take communion. Here's what Paul says. We who are Gentiles by birth were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise. We were without hope. We were without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, who once we once who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has uh, destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and he preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also the members of his household. He did that by the breaking of his body the shedding of his blood on the cross, that we who were far away could be brought near. Hallelujah. Praise him.
Let's join him in bringing his message of love and acceptance to others. Reflect on that as we take communion and as we end the worship service in songs of praise. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you that this is true, that this is what you're like. God, would you show us, as you showed Peter, that there is no one that you're unwilling to love and accept. And God, would you also show us through your word that everyone needs your love and acceptance. And Lord, that that is found in no other place than in the name of Jesus. And so may we not stand in your way, but go with you with joy to bring this love and acceptance to them by how we love them and, God, how we tell them how you love them, that we share the gospel. May they believe. May our friends believe. May everyone, Lord, in our city and beyond, every man, woman, child, hear the gospel of someone who loves them. And, Lord, may they, may they enter in and experience your, your unexpected but your unbelievable love and acceptance. God, thank you for loving and accepting us. Thank you for what you've done for us. God, for this we give you praise. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.